Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. It's nice to have you with us as usual. And uh, I'm not sure whether we're in the boardroom, in the locker room or on the lake, because we have President of SROing Sean Kerr as our guest this evening. How are you doing, Sean? Hi, good evening. Uh, very well, thank you. Okay, so we're talking about a subject that I know absolutely nothing about. My buoyancy is not the greatest in the world. So let's start off by about SA rowing and what exactly you guys do. Well, as a federation, we look after the sport of rowing in South Africa. Um, at the moment, that comes in many forms. Uh, fine boat rowing, which I guess public would be familiar with the Oxford-Cambridge boat race and would have seen the Olympic team performing over this last several Olympic cycles. Um, that is sort of fine boat racing. Over 2,000 meters is the Olympic distance. Um, obviously, the boat race is a little different. And then you move into other disciplines like coastal rowing, which is a slightly wider body boat um, and takes place in the ocean and on, on larger pieces of water. And then we also look after a, quite a substantial population of indoor rowing, which are those horrible rowing machines that you see in the gym. Um, but that also forms a, a discipline for us, and which we call indoor rowing. Yes, the one thing that you mentioned that I clearly know all of, not know all about, but watch every year <laughs> is the Oxford-Cambridge boat race. And then, of course, our fantastic success with gold medals in previous Olympic Games. How big is rowing in South Africa? So it's a good question. Um, most of our membership base or athlete base sits in the school's environment. We have a very healthy school's environment, predominantly in Gauteng, the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape. We also have clubs that exist in, in Nepal. Those are our water-based clubs. When it comes to indoor rowing, we're across the country um, in any province, given the, the ease at which you can move an indoor rowing machine around. I'm actually quite blown away. I, as I said before the start of the podcast, it's something I know very little about. But tell us more about this indoor rowing. Sounds quite interesting. So indoor rowing is something that uh, world rowing, our mother body, if I can call them that, are trying to promote. We use it primarily as a development tool. We have a development officer called Virginia Mabasu who runs an indoor rowing program on a national basis for us. And we have nearly 3,000 athletes across the country, again, predominantly in the school's environment, taking part in indoor rowing. So, you know, again, I come back to given the ease at which you can move these machines around, uh, we, can, we can hold programs, indoor rowing programs, pretty much anywhere in the country. And Virginia is now in nearly 60 districts, if I'm correct. And, uh, yeah. We, we have we have administrators in those districts and and they administer programs that put that put kids and and uh, other athletes on on these on these rowing machines which we call ergos obviously it's fantastic because you now have this opportunity to go without having to know how to actually swim in the water you've got to but you fell out the boat it's absolutely a great place to start and, and and the hope for not everybody but for a lot of those athletes is that we convert them into water rowers eventually over time um clearly dependent on access to water and as you say the the ability to swim now talking about access to water i mean uh, i believe Gauteng and areas around there are currently under flood does that affect you guys at all so the flooding not so much uh, we are predominantly based on on flat water on big dams um in Gauteng, for instance we are 
on our major hubs are Victoria Lake, which is in Germiston, and uh, Rudderplatt Dam, which is our national rowing course, which is also where the Olympic team and our national teams train out of. Then in Cape Town, we, we run Zinkoufle and, uh, and Mr. Stunt. Um, I was actually down in East London in the Eastern Cape on the weekend, and the, the major center there is uh, in East London on the Buffalo River, um, and not too much of an impact from, from a flood perspective. So when we look at the participation in South Africa, so Sean, with 3,000 registered rowers in South Africa, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot to the novice like myself. Is it a good number? And if not, how are you guys going to increase those numbers? So 3,000 is our water-based number, and we probably have about 3,000 on indoor rowing. So we're probably about 6,000 strong. Your question is still valid, though. Is that enough? Um, You'd like to give as many people access to our wonderful sport as you can. Um, We are, however, bound from a water perspective by large bodies of water. Those are under constant threat from the likes of uh, water hyacinth. And uh, at the moment, we were actually battling with water quality, um, just given the amount of effluent that is being dumped into some of our beautiful dams and lakes. That obviously is a huge problem. I'm based uh... I live in Milneton and for listeners around the world, that's just a, a suburb outside beautiful Cape Town and, and we've got the Milneton Lagoon and I know that's been shut down to the Milneton Canoeing Club and, and obviously that's a real blow to the people that are members of that club. Is it often or is it a lot of, of incidents around the country like this? It's unfortunately becoming more and more prevalent across um, most of our water bodies in South Africa. We are working with um, the Department of Water and the Department of um, Environment, Forestry and Fisheries to clear those dams either of hyacinth or um, work with the local municipalities that they are treating their water appropriately before dumping it in, into our natural resources. Yeah, it's obviously not just a problem for the rowers, but also for the people that live around those bodies of water. Let's get off the water yeah. for a moment and go back into the boardroom. Obviously, from the boardroom to the locker room is what you're listening to this evening. Sean Kerr is our special guest, the president of Rowing in South Africa. Take us to the structure with regards to who do you guys report to in South Africa and who do you report to worldwide? So in South Africa, I consider my boss, if I can, if I can call it that, to be the Department of Sport. Um, now the Department of Sport, Arts and Culture. From a mass participation perspective and, you know, promoting rowing as a sport to the whole of South Africa, I would say we report into the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture. From a high performance perspective, we um, are a member of SASCOC and uh, our Olympic and national teams report into SASCOC from that perspective. So, you know, high performance into SASCOC and uh, mass participation through the Department of Sport at a sort of world rowing level. Um, we report into, or we are a member of uh, World Rowing, which is the international world rowing body, which is a member of the IOC. And so indirectly, we have responsibilities reporting into the IOC through World Rowing. If I move below that, we have representation in all our provinces. So from an administration perspective locally, we have provincial bodies in eight of the nine provinces. We have a schools body that reports into us. In fact, we're one of the few federations that have schools representation on our council and executive. And I must say that really does well for a sport like rowing to have schools represented at that level. And then we have universities. So what I neglected to mention earlier was we also have a large contingent of members in the university space 
We have nine universities across South Africa that have rowing as a sport and host our own version of the boat race. So from that perspective, universities universities have a seat. Um, senior clubs are taken care of through the provinces. And we are now starting to grow something I mentioned earlier, coastal rowing. So, so that we have a commission for coastal rowing and um, something exciting I need to tell you about on the master's front. We have a master's commission and we've established a master's commission because we are hosting the 2023 World Masters Rowing Regatta here in South Africa in September this year. That sort of gives you a structural overview of who I report to above and how we structured down below locally. Well, it sounds like a, a massive task to get all of these administrative bodies together. And last week we spoke to Barry Hendricks from SASCOM. Do you get enough help from them? That's a tough one, right? Because what do we consider to be help? Um, funding always hits the top of that list. And I understand, you know, funds are tight across the country for sport. You know, if you pull a philosophical hat on a country like South Africa has many issues that it faces socially that it needs to take care of. Um, there could always be more money for sport in South Africa, we think. That could come from either SASCOC or the Department of Sport. Rowing is recognized on both sides, the Department of Sport and SASCOC, as being a compliant and performing federation. So we, we think we get our fair share, but we could always get more. Ultimately, the goal is gold medals at Olympics and other major events around the world. Correct. A lot of efforts and time goes into preparing our, our national team. But the national team wouldn't exist without a good nursery of under 23s and juniors. So, you know, we spend a significant amount of time and effort nursing our under 23s and our under 19s, which we consider to be juniors, to make sure that we have a healthy pipeline coming through into the Olympic team. The Olympic team is funded by SASCOC and private funding that we have. We have a trust called the Powerhouse Trust, um, which generates sponsorship, you know, within the rowing federation and within Friends of Rowing to to keep our Olympic team on the water. Um, one of the big funders into the uh, into the Powerhouse Trust is RMB. We have enjoyed a fantastic relationship with RMB over the last nearly 10 years. Um, and they have certainly contributed handsomely to, you know, to funding the big machine that, that is our national squad. Most under 23s and juniors are on a on a self-pay basis, which is not unusual um, to other federations and, in fact, other models around the world. One of the things, and I suppose this is very difficult to say grassroots when you guys are mainly in the water, but how do you get a young kid in South Africa who sees rugby, cricket and soccer, obviously, as the three major sports, and then maybe from the ladies inside a bit of netball and then some athletics? And with respect, I mean, you're a Cinderella sport that I guess would be in the lower echelons of most young kids' idea of becoming an athlete and representing South Africa. It must be really difficult. So, Louis, it it absolutely is difficult. Um, I think that many sporting structures are set up to support the codes of sport that you mentioned earlier. However, there is a large population of, of kids and that's probably not the right terminology, but there's a large population of kids who who don't want to play those sports. And, and I'd like to think that rowing offers the alternative to that. Our responsibility, I guess our task and aim, is to make sure that we capture as many of those athletes um, coming through the system. I think there's talent everywhere, and it's it's about harnessing that talent, identifying that talent, um, and, and bringing that through the system. We rely heavily on schools to grow within their own ranks. 
um, and in, in their own ranks, I mean the size of their club, but also to promote new schools starting rowing, which is an expensive exercise, to come back to your, your Cinderella point. Um, and you'll be surprised at how many novices, how many new athletes pick up rowing at university level. So at the university level, I would say nearly 50% of the competitors at our university's boat race and another university-specific event called sprints is about 50% novice, um, which I think is quite encouraging in terms of how many new entrants there are coming in into rowing. I go back to the importance of setting up a master's commission what we've seen and a gap that we've tried to fill is, frankly, as parents of kids who are rowing are also looking for a way to, to get involved in the sport from, a, from an activity basis. And um, growing our master's ranks is something that is, uh, it's probably our fastest growing constituency at the moment, given the, the hype around the World Masters Regatta in September in 2023. I must stop saying 2023, it's, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit difficult even though we're already into the late second half of the second month of the year, it goes quite quickly, doesn't it? We really talk about parents who are sort of kind of hesitant for their kids to play rugby, for example, and at school level, they're unhappy that their kid only makes it into the third cricket team. Is it really difficult in terms of finances for parents to get their kids involved in something like this? Bearing in mind, and again, as a much older parent myself, I think of a parent who'll go and spend 12 grand on a PlayStation. I don't know what a a boat costs, but get them out in the fresh air and great exercise rather than square eyes in front of a TV. The 12 grand is an interesting number that you mentioned. I'd say it's the equivalent cost a year to pay a membership to a club um, or the cost of, of rowing at, at the school level. Um, but I am going to caveat that by saying that excludes the boats. So you know, clubs <clears throat> and schools are responsible for raising money and keeping their fleet intact to be able to race. And, you know, the individual then pays a, a fraction of that to use all this expensive equipment and, and, as you say, get out onto the water, breathe some fresh air and remain active. So, so our boats are expensive. I, I can't get away from that fact. Um, we are looking for ways to, to reduce the cost of, of boats um, through local boat builders. And, you know, I mentioned coastal rowing earlier, which the cost of those boats is significantly less. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the cost to the individual is roughly the same. Um, you know, you don't need to buy any sort of kit yourself. You are you're provided with a boat and oars and all the rest within your club. Um, you then pay your membership to that club and, and use their facilities. So from a parent's point of view, they can actually get their kid to try it out before they lay this kind of money out. Is that possible? Absolutely. And I think, you know, getting hold of us through the national office, any of their local rowing clubs, they would very much welcome anybody who wanted to try the sport. So now explain to me the various categories that you have in rowing and Talk about the regattas that are coming up. So we are mid-season at the moment. We're classed as a summer sport, if I could call it that. Um, so our main racing season takes place between October and April, so October of last year through to April of this year. The school season is slightly shorter. It ends at the, at the beginning of March, um, given that it has to fit in with other codes of sport that begin and end you know, around the same time. Um, so... For us, we're a summer sport on the water racing. What we are noticing, though, is that more and more people are involved in rowing throughout the year. And, and the beauty that we have 
in South Africa with our weather, as opposed to our European counterparts, um, is that we can row all, all year round. And um, that we're certainly starting to see more and more fleets train and be involved in rowing for for 12 months of the year as opposed to six. Um, and that is indirectly or very directly actually impacts the performance, particularly of our national teams and the quality of the better teams, if I can call it that, um, when they do come to racing in, in the summertime. You were asked about regattas coming up. Big regattas, we've just had the Buffalo Regatta down in East London. It's a regatta that's been running for over 100 years. We have the next big event, I would say, is um, South African Schools Champs at the beginning of March. That takes place at Riddaplatz. And unconfirmed, oh, what, what do I call it? Um, it's known as one of the largest single sporting schools events in the Southern Hemisphere. We attract over 2,000 athletes over the weekend. We have about between six and 8,000 uh, people through the gate. And it is really, I think, a festival of rowing at the junior level, specifically for schools. They own the, the weekend in the beginning of March, if I can if I can put it that way. And that is really a spectacle, really does give me a lot of assurance around how strong rowing still is within those ranks. Schools then come off the boil a little bit um, after that regatta. They move on to, to the other sports, those that are, you know, the traditional sort of sporting school system. You row now and then you go and play rugby and then you do athletics. Um, but for those that carry on, the, the national championship, the South African national championship takes place in April. You know, that is the, the main regatta from a, if you want to be a South African champion, that is where you compete. And then winter starts and we go into, into longer events. We have a long, a long row on the Vaal, which is a 23 kilometer row on the Vaal River. And we go into the head racing, sort of river racing uh, kind of environments. Um, and universities have a major event then in September in Port Alfred, which is the university's boat race, which is modeled on the Oxford Cambridge uh, event. And that really is also a very, very special event for us um, from a rowing South Africa perspective, given that it's down in Port Alfred and is two boat racing side by side um, at the university level. The one big event, and I have mentioned this a few times before, is the World Masters Rowing Regatta in September. It's on around the 23rd of September this year. This is the first time a world rowing event will be held on the African continent. So we were attributed this event in 2019 um, in Linz in Austria. So we have been planning for this event since 2019, and um, we are expecting an excess of 4,000 athletes from over 60 countries probably to descend on South Africa in September and and come and row in a World Masters uh, regatta. And as I said, this will be the first time that a world rowing event is to be held on African soil. Unbelievable. Now, if we go back, James Thompson, Matthew Britton, John Smith and Lawrence and Glorville, some people might remember the names, others might not, made history, gold medal in the Olympics. But from there, we haven't really reached those heights again, have we? You set the bar really high, Louis. Um, winning a gold medal at the Olympic Games is a uh, is a tough is a tough feat. And obviously, I mean, I was there that day. It was I'll remember that day for as long as I live. Um, but we can't we can't forget that the guys in Rio won a silver medal, and five boats. We sent six boats, and five of the six boats finished in the top five places in the world um, at, at the Olympic Games. We missed out. We thought Rio could have produced. Um, three medals and we came close in five. So, you know, that's, that's how tight racing is at that level. Um, after that was Tokyo. We had a disappointing Tokyo build up for various reasons and uh, Paris coming up in 2024. 
I'm bullish around being able to produce another medal for South Africa. Well, not me, um, but, yeah. but as the president, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will put another medal in the bag for, for Team South Africa. You're quite right. I did set the bar very high. But, Sean, that's... <laughs> no, no, you're right. But isn't that the case in South Africa? In whichever sport we participate, the pressure that fans put on our athletes to perform. We're a little country in terms of the the facilities and the coaching abilities and the schools and training facilities that the likes of Australia and Great Britain have. Yet it's quite remarkable that we had that kind of result, even if it might be a once-off. And let's remember, as high as I'm setting the bar, we've also only won the marathon at the Olympics once. So, you know, there are a lot of firsts that have not really come to fruition in Olympic Games and so on afterwards. But we still strive, don't we, to get there? Absolutely. I think it's a it's a South African phenomenon. It's a blessing and a curse. And uh, we must embrace it. We expect high performance, good results from our crews that go over and our teams that go over. And I think as a South African uh, sporting crazy country, we should continue to want to see those results. Um, but we must realize that sometimes it's stepping stones to get there. And, and often you need to go through one or two Olympic cycles to produce another medal. So I'm looking at the national squad. Let's get a couple of names out there that South Africans can think of following towards uh, Paris, which I might remind you is next year. This is 2023, as you mentioned earlier on. You couldn't believe it already was. It's, it's around the corner, isn't it? It's absolutely around the corner. And it's been made even tighter by the delay of the Tokyo Games, right? So we kept the Tokyo team training for an extra year, given the delay of the Tokyo Games. So four-year Olympic cycle has turned into two and a half. Um, it's all systems go. We have a relatively big squad training at the moment, um, both in the men's section and the women's section, which is great. We call them the RMB national squad, given you know big funding that we get from from RMB. Um, and yeah, we've got some good guys in the system. Some some of the team. Just to give you some background, we have some members of the team who are world champions in the under twenty three event, and they are the world record holders in in the under twenty three men's pair. And those guys have now come through under 23 ranks and are knocking on the door of the, the Olympic team. And we've got some experienced guys in, in the team as well. People like Jake Green, who this will be, you know, he's trying out for his third Olympic Games. Um, I heard the other day that someone like John Smith, who was in the London gold medal for, is, you know, is back and training and uh, would certainly want to see how he compares to the rest of the athletes and probably have another go at another Olympic Games. On the women's side, Kath Williams uh, has medaled before at the under-23 level and uh, together with uh, a good group of heavyweight women, we believe there's some potential on the women's side as well, which is exciting. And it must be extremely difficult. I presume, if not all of these rowers, are amateurs in terms of they have to go to work each day and then train? So they are absolutely amateurs. Um, we have no one in the national team at the moment who is working and training. So they are amateurs in that they're not paid, but they are professional in terms of the way that they approach, um, you know, making the Olympic team and training for the Olympics. So they are full-time athletes and supported by us and their, their families um, in the hope of winning a, an Olympic medal. And then, of course, uh, none of this happens, obviously, without the president and the chairman. And then, I guess, 
outside of yourself, most importantly, tell us about the national head coach. So we've had a change in head coach from uh, from Tokyo into into Paris. Um, Tiago Lerrera has taken over. Uh, Tiago was a deputy um, for us for many years, particularly through Rio and and Tokyo. He's been coaching at the junior and under twenty three level and preparing crews at the senior level, but not you know with with the official head national head coach title. Tiago has brought an, a breath of fresh air into into the national team, um, and we believe is is doing a great job. To give you some context around that, you know, we looked internationally um, and we believe Tiago is the best candidate to take us through to Paris and potentially LA in 2028. And we have to be thinking about Olympic cycles. So, yes, Paris is next year, but what does LA look like in 28? And goodness knows where we'll be in 32. What final question to you, and we'll move away from South Africa, if we may. Obviously, the two, I guess, most famous names, Steve Redgrave and Matthew Vincent. I mean, Redgrave is a sort of phenomenon of, of a feat of something that is almost unheard of. Can we produce, and I don't necessarily want to raise the bar to his level because he is ultimately the greatest ever, but I think it can show athletes that you can participate for a longevity in the sport of rowing. So, Louis, you touch on a good point. Um, you know, rowing is a sport for life. And, uh, and, and I mean, Redgrave performed at, at the Olympic level for five cycles. Um, you know, I mentioned John Smith. This will this be John Smith's fourth, fourth Olympic cycle. Um, you know, Matthew and Stephen, I know them well, are, were, were great athletes. And, and there was a lot of publicity around, around these two athletes. We, have, we absolutely have similar athletes. And I just have to look at people like John Smith, James Thompson, Ramon De Clemente, who have come through the system. And they've all got two or three Olympics, uh, you know, Olympic Games under their belts and um, and have contributed to South African rowing in the same way that Stephen Matthew have contributed to, to British rowing. So at 60, it's not too late for me. Absolutely. I told you, World Masters is in September. And the beauty about the World Masters regatta is that it's open to everybody, right? Um, I was at the equivalent event in France last year, and the, the oldest athlete on the water was 92 um, and in South Africa, we have an athlete, our oldest registered athlete is 92 or 93. Um, that's John Price. And I really hope that John will compete at the World Masters Regatta in September later in the year. Sean, I'm sure we'll talk to you before then and uh, have a full conversation about that event. Sounds absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time joining us on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room this evening. Louis, thank you. It's been great. Once again, that is another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker. We were kind of like in a boat rowing our way, what do they say, up the creek without a paddle. That's how we started, but I think I have a paddle now. I've learned an awful lot from Sean Kerr. It's been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much to him. Thank you to you for listening, as always, to From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Until next time, goodbye. Be nice to each other.